Dear congregation, I invite you to take out your Bibles for scripture reading. We're going to I'm going to give a few preliminary remarks to the passage that we hope to read before we read it in Isaiah chapter 8. You can find it on page uh, 791, 791 in our Pew Bible. Um, we'll begin reading verse, verse 11. But I want to just make a couple remarks before our scripture reading. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and we recognized in the fall in paradise that God, in his grace, came in the Garden of Eden seeking out Adam, and he wanted to give them the glorious promise also of his covenant in Genesis 3 verse 15. But as he came into this garden, he, he came with a call, Adam, where are you? And we recognize that there in the garden, Adam couldn't stay hidden. He comes out because God had called him out and he could not resist that call. And there in the garden, Adam makes excuses and so on. And yet God is still mindful of his covenant and he sets before them the glorious covenant that we find in Genesis 3, verse 15, that there will become a seed of the woman who would crush the seed of the serpent. Now, throughout Scripture, we find that covenant language. And God calling out of, he called out Abraham out of Ur the Chaldees, and he comes out. He calls to the rest of the patriarchs. He calls to Moses from the burning bush. And he, he cannot refuse the Lord's leading. He calls to David and says, You will not build a house for me, but I will build a house for you. And your son will indeed build that temple. He calls to each one and gives covenant promises. Then we turn to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, we hear God also calling out, calling out to Isaiah. And there in Isaiah 6, we find that God had come to Isaiah and, and he revealed his glory to him. And Isaiah must confess in verse 5 of Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw the glory of God. His mouth was touched with a hot coal from the altar. And he heard the voice of God saying, Whom shall I send? And what's Isaiah's response? Here am I. Send me. Already in paradise, Adam, where are you? God comes to him, and there in the garden, already in his promise, you can see the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, standing up and saying, here I am. Send me. Send me to pay the price of the sins of my people. Send me to earn their righteousness. Send me to defeat Satan's sin and death. 
Isaiah says, send me. Here I am. He doesn't have as glorious of a promise as what Jesus has. He's supposed to be sent to people who won't hear him. And yet he's promised that a remnant, a few will return to the Lord. And he names his son, Shear-Jashub, as a testimony of that remnant that will return. In Isaiah chapter 7, his assignment is to go to King Ahaz. King Ahaz. And King Ahaz is, is a wicked king. And King Ahaz and Judah is in a difficult situation because there are two kings, the king of Syria and Pekah, the king of Remaliah, the king of Israel. They have formed a confederacy against Judah. And Ahaz, the king of Israel, is shaking in his boots. You should hear what, what it says. So the heart, in verse 2, so his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They were shaking. They were scared. They were filled with fear from these two kings that have confederated and conspired against them. Well, Ahaz had a plan of his own. Ahaz was going to also band together with the Syrians. Instead of asking the Lord and his prophets for help, he was going to join together with the king of Assyria and to go and be able to fight. That would be what the world would say. You need a bigger army. You need to form another alliance if Israel and Syria are going to band together. You also need help. And so that made sense to Ahaz and to his counselors. And yet, God is calling Isaiah to go and to prophesy to him. And he gives him that beautiful sign and he says, I will give you a sign that these kings will not be able to prevail against you. I will give you the sign of a son who will be born of a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Of course, Ahaz says, who far be it from me to receive a sign from the Lord. I, I, I shouldn't require that. I should just trust in him. And he piously rejects the sign and goes his own way. And yet in chapter 8, in chapter 8, there Isaiah comes and is sent by the Lord again and called by the Lord to take a scroll and write on it the name Meher Shalel Hashbaz. I'm sure, children, you're glad your name isn't that long. Some of our Dutch names are long, but not that long. Meher Shalel Hashbaz. And this is going to be for a sign. A sign that God will preserve his people. And he gives another prophecy. That indeed, even as King Ahaz goes and confederates and conspires with the king of Assyria and joins together, Assyria turns against him and, and just about comes all the way up to the neck of Emmanuel's land, almost to snuff out Judah. But then, 
But then God delivers them because he is with them, even as he has promised in the name Emmanuel. And this is where we pick up our reading. Isaiah 8, verse 11. Let us turn there. Isaiah 8, verse 11, page 791. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy or a confederacy. Concerning all of this people, call a conspiracy. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, Him you shall hallow. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law upon my disciples. And I will wait on the Lord who hides His face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in Him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry, that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, all in the day of Midian, as every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and fallible word. 
As we consider this text, especially verse 18 will be the focus of it. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And the reason I gave the preface to the passage in which we read is we need to recognize that today we live in very similar days as the days which King Ahaz reigned in Judah. We live in days where idolatry has overwhelmed our land, has brought us into darkness. Ahaz had closed the temples. He had closed the worship of God. He encouraged people to forsake the Lord God. He himself forsook the Lord God and despised his promises, despised the sign even that the Lord would give him of political success. Indeed, he was in great political challenges. And we look around the world today as well and we see all kinds of political unrest. We see confederacies joining together and banning together against other countries. And we live in a time where, humanly speaking, you could be overwhelmed with concern and even with fear and worry. We could shake as as the Israelites, as those in Judah shook as the trees of the wind. And yet, we also need to recognize that we serve the same God of Isaiah. And we are to remind ourselves that we are not to go down the road of someone like King Ahaz who syncretized and took the alliances of the world and esteemed them more than his alliance with God himself. And we need to recognize that. We need to recognize how God's judgment came upon Judah and King Ahaz. And yet, we recognize the grace and the mercy of our God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful confession we have here by Isaiah in Isaiah 8, verse 18. Here am I in the children whom God has given me. They are, we are, for signs and wonders. I want to look at this with the theme as we think also of baptism and ourselves standing here. Here am I and and my children. Here am I with my children. I want to see this, first of all, as a covenantal confession Secondly, as a Christ-centered confession. And thirdly, as a counter-cultural confession. Why do I say, first of all, this is a covenantal confession? Well, God is using names here. We don't always think about this when we name our children, but we recognize today as we name our children that they are Christian children, and they go by the identity of being a Christian. And so they do have a name. They are set apart as those who belong to, to Christ, to God, and to His covenant. And so also Isaiah ready in his name has great significance and meaning. It meant Jehovah salvation. Jehovah is salvation. And he sets that before us. Especially in that call where he's called by God, 
and says, here I am. And he goes and sends him forth with this testimony of being the one who would bear the name of God, the God who is salvation to Ahaz and all whom he prophesied to. Not only was Isaiah himself and his name significant, but also his children. Here I am with my children whom God has given me. And his children are also very significant. His first child's name comes up in Isaiah 7, verse 3. Especially as he's now just been called into the ministry and only a remnant's going to return. His, he's to call his na- son's name Sheer. Sheer, just Joshua. And this means that a remnant will return. And so God had called him and he says, here I am, send me. And the Lord says, but only a few will hear you and a few will return to me. You will preach, as it were, to people who will go their own way. But know this, there will be a remnant who will return. And his son's name is Sheer Jashub. And here, as he goes on this assignment to King Ahaz, he goes there with his son. God tells him, take your son along with you. Because guess what? Ahaz is not going to hear the word of Isaiah. He's going to refuse. He's going to refuse the sign that God had given him and wanted to give him in the name Emmanuel. God is with him. What an encouragement for Isaiah. A remnant will return despite Ahaz rejecting my counsel, despite me telling him not to make an alliance with the world. Guess what? God's will will prevail despite Ahaz's wickedness. His second son. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Now Ahaz has gone and confederated with Assyria. And there in his confederacy with Assyria, Assyria turns on him and takes advantage of him and almost swallows up Judah as a judgment upon Ahaz for rejecting the Lord his God. And Isaiah is to call his name Maher Shalel Hashbaz because this word means and this name means hasten to the spoil, swift to the prey. Which is telling him even though Assyria will come and almost swallow up Judah, God will come and he will destroy Assyria and he will be the the Savior of His people. These are signs and wonders that Isaiah has right beside him. God had given him children with very specific names to be walking memorials of what God had done, what He is doing, and what He will do. They would go to the king. They would go and walk around their towns and their cities and be a walking, perpetual sign and wonder of all that God had done. And isn't that true for a Christian family? 
to be a Christian family in society, to be believers and their children walking as signs and wonders in this world to testify of the light of Christ and His glory. In our marriages, that we would be a living testimony of the Gospel in the way we conduct ourselves in marriage. As we raise our children, that we would be preparing them to be signs and wonders in this world, Christian, in not only in name, but in their very being, to be lights of Christ in this world. And in order to do so, that's why Peter is picking this up in 1 Peter 3, which we read when we uh, had baptism and addressed the parents. Where he says, we will suffer as those who are Christians in this world. We will suffer greatly, even probably more so in a dark world such as Ahaz or, or even ours. But don't fear those who would harm you. Even if we suffer for righteousness' sake, we are blessed. We ought not to be afraid of them. We ought not to be troubled. We ought not to be like those trees in the wind swaying back and forth. No, he says this is the answer. Sanctify God. Take Him into your heart and your life. Give Him a special place there. You are set apart unto Him, so set Him apart in your heart and your life and be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the hope that's within you. These are covenant signs and wonders given to us by God. What a blessing it is as, as a Christian family to see that also in way of baptism. To know that God has given us a spouse, has given us children to be a witness of His glory even to this world as we live in it. We are called to be covenantal. Here I am with my children whom God has given me to be signs and wonders. But any covenantal confession needs to secondly be a Christ-centered confession. A Christ-centered confession. From, very, from the time in paradise and the fall all the way to the cross, even to Revelation, we find that it is Christ's testimony that gives us the confidence to say, here I am with my children. Adam would continue to go hide in the forest. He would continue to sow fig leaves around himself just like we would by nature. And yet, it is God, it is Christ who makes that difference. It is Christ in His testimony of His Word all the way through. Even as I pointed out, Abraham and all of the patriarchs, Moses and David and, and Isaiah himself, here I am and the children whom God has given me. But that wasn't the only testimony that God gave to direct them to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives Ahaz and all of Judah, and, and, and including Isaiah, this wonderful testimony of Emmanuel, God with us, that this virgin would 
bear forth a child and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. We know that from Matthew chapter 1, that that is the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we have following the angel coming to, to Joseph in a dream, saying to call his name Jesus. And then the promise there is picked up that and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. What an encouragement that was for those is sitting in darkness. They now are seeing this great light, Emmanuel, God with us. But there's a whole lot more in this text. There's so much about Christ in here. Notice uh, chapter 8. Isaiah now named his son Maher Shalel Hashbaz, and the Lord spoke to him in verse 5. And then in verse 6 he says, Insomuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh that flow softly. What were those waters of Shiloh? Well, what Ahaz was doing is refusing the sign that God had given him even at that conduit by the fuller's field in chapter 7. And, and there we find that conduit would come up into the pool of Siloam inside Jerusalem. And, and this pool would continually be fed from water outside of the walls of Jerusalem, protecting the city, showing them that indeed God was with them. He was with them. Even when they were attacked by their enemies, God was with them. And Jesus points this out later on to show that this is indeed a picture of Himself, the living water, and of the Holy Spirit who would be given. God indeed is with them. And He had refused God. And He had refused these waters that flow softly and tenderly, filled with peace and prosperity. Notice verse 8 of chapter 7. He says, that the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years they will all be broken, so they will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. And yet, here in chapter 8, we find that this king of Assyria now has come up, and he has overpowered them, and he passes through Judah in, in verse 8. And he will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck. And he will stretch out his wings. He will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. And he says, Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you are far uh, countries. Gird yourself, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourself, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. It is Emmanuel's land. And God is with us in this land. And all the nations that would come up against us, they will not succeed. Because our God, He sits on His throne in Mount Zion. This is Christ Himself who rules over all the kings of this world. And He is putting them all under His footstool. He is with them despite the fact that they rejected the waters of Shiloh. Notice verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary. He will dwell with them, but not for those who, who reject him. 
but he will dwell with those who believe him. He is with them. God with us. But he doesn't even stop there. Even though they're sitting in the midst of this darkness. In chapter 9, he says, these people, they sat in darkness, and yet they have seen a great light, a light that will lighten the world. Because God truly comes to dwell with them For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And he will sit upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Nothing will stand in the way of Almighty God. And he comes, as we heard this morning, he comes to his own. He comes as the light of the world in darkness. Some do not want him. Some do not desire him. Others, even his own, reject him. But to as many as receive him, Emmanuel, God with us, to them he gives the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in his name. This is a Christ-centered confession. Here I am and the children whom God has given me. And you want absolute proof that this is Christ-centered? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. There in Hebrews chapter 2, we find that Christ, the second Adam, He will be made a little lower than the angels, for suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. And notice in verse 10, the purpose is to bring his children with him. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. They're set apart to him as one. And that is why he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Why? Notice the end of verse 13. Because Jesus stands up and he says, Here am I and the children that God has given me. The mediator of the covenant He comes and he takes upon himself our flesh, suffers and dies so that he might bring his children, his sons, his daughters into glory. Here am I and the children whom you have given me. There's a special thing going on in baptism where Christ himself comes to us and he says, here am I and the children 
who God has given me. You think, well, they're my children. And we stand here too saying, here I am and the children whom God has given me. But unless we understand that Christ himself stands here and says, here am I and the children whom God has given me, then we haven't come to a full understanding of what it means to have children given to us by God, to raise separately, sanctified in him. We have confessed, our first question and answer, that our children are set apart, sanctified in God, in Christ. And he stands here, he says, here I am, and the children whom God has given me. And we are to receive them on loan from Christ, to raise them in a Christ-centered biblical way according to his word to set them apart as his children. Now that is countercultural. To have this biblical covenantal view and to be Christ-centered and word-centered is countercultural. And so this is a con- countercultural confession. And I don't have to point anywhere else than our text to see that. Verse 11, where we began reading. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. That's countercultural. The world would call us to walk one way, and God is saying, do not walk in the way of this people. Do not accept the fact that they are confederating with Assyria. Do not fear those who have confederated against Judah. You don't have to fear them, but fear me. Do not say, he says in verse 12, a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He says, don't walk in the way of this people. There's a clear contrast between walking in the fear of God and in the ways of the Lord, biblically and covenantally and Christ-centeredly, than to walk in the way of this people. You can't walk both ways. It's countercultural. And in order for your children to be signs and wonders in this world, you've got to be countercultural, he said. That's why Isaiah stands up in the midst of this challenge. He's saying, Here I am, and my children, the children whom God has given me to be signs and wonders in this world. You aren't called counterculture. You aren't going to be a sign and a wonder if you're going right along with the world. In other words, he's saying, do not syncretize with the world. That's the biggest danger for the church today. It's to join in with the world's unbelief. 
Don't make a confederacy with the world, he's saying to us. The problem with both houses of Israel is that they would depend on worldly help rather than help from God. They would depend on worldly approval rather than the approval of God. That was the problem for Israel. That was the problem for Judah. They esteemed the smiles and frowns of the world more than the smiles and frowns of God. Oh, dear parents, believe this and know this, that you should never be surprised when the world is not your friend when you live as a Christian and you live as a Christian family. The world will not be your friend because the Christian life is countercultural. The Christian life is light in a dark world and they cannot dwell together. A friend of the world is not a friend of Jesus. And a friend of Jesus is often at enmity with this world. But it's so much easier, you say, Pastor, to just go along with the world because because that's that's the easy way. If you're going to go to to do some kayaking or canoeing down the Grand River and you start up by Cambridge, I'd be a whole lot smarter than starting down by Paris and trying to get to Cambridge, right? Sometimes you see people kayaking upstream and they're going and going and going and going. And it's like, what are you doing? Why don't you just go down along with the flow of the current? It's so much easier. It makes so much more sense to do what Ahaz has done and confederate with the Syrian army so that he might have a fighting chance against Syria and Israel. And yet, God says, no, 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 no. That's not the wisdom of God. Don't you know that I have ordained strength so often out of little weak means so that they might be signs and wonders that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings God has ordained strength because of his enemies so that they might be signs and wonders. Psalm 128 too where our children are like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior ready to go out to signs and wonders of God in this world. He says you don't need to go along with all of the world's philosophies. You don't need to take the easy way and syncretize with the world and all of their ideals for you. No, I have a way. It might be countercultural. It might not be the easy way, but it will be for a sign and a wonder of my glory and of my grace and of the light of the world. That is why we are countercultural. That is why we are covenantal. That's why we are biblical. That's why we are Christ centered. And furthermore, he says, don't rely on the counsel of this world. He asks this question in verse 19. He says, And when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? You see, people get so filled with fear, they go and seek 
answers in all of the wrong places, grasping for straws in the midst of darkness. And, and, I, and I say, it's like, well, why would you seek help from the dead and the dark in this world? He says, no. He says, not at all. Do not seek the counsel of this world, but go to the law and the testimony. That's what he says in verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, if they do not speak according to the word of God, there's no light in them. None whatsoever. Refuse their counsel when they do not speak according to the word of God. Why would you seek counsel? The counsel of the dead among the living. Go to the living word. That will give us instruction as to build that defense for the reason, for the hope that lies within us and our children so that they can be signs and wonders in this world. And so that they can be engaging in this world. Humble, gracious engagement. Not not little legalists who are saying, here's the law. You, you broke it in one little point and there's no grace for you. Not as a legalist. But not as antinomian who say, no, 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 no law. We don't need any law. We, we're all saved by grace. No. He says, Go to the Word. Let this be your treasure. Let this be your foundation. Live out of this Word. Live out of it because you want to serve this King of kings. The one who's been given the government upon His shoulder. The one who is a wonder, whose name is wonderful. The one who is named Counselor. The best Counselor. The one who is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the One who is King forever. You see, that's what a Christian does. He doesn't live as a legalist. No, he lives as one who is loyal to his King and to his Lord out of love for Him. Love for His Word in order to walk in all the ways of the Lord. You see, it's countercultural to do so. You think of this world around us today, of how the family is so attacked. Marriage is attacked in our world today. You know, it's been said that the divorce rates among Christians are as higher, higher than that among others in this world. And there's a reason for that. It's because many in this world actually don't get married. But there's also a reason for that is the darkness of also Christians today. Where marriage has been syncretized with the view that the world has for marriage. It's a selfish and a self-centered view of marriage. You have to experience all of these things and then you can get married. And you have to experience all of these things and all of these blessings and all of this material and then you can have children. That's what the world tells us. 
And that is impacting also the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, um, I think of the blessing of large families in, in our own congregation and in many Christian families. And that is countercultural in itself. The when of getting married and the when of having children is countercultural in itself. Oh, you wait until all of those things happen and then you get married. The number of children. Oh, you mean you have two children? No, you have three children? No, really, you have four or five or more? You're crazy. You're utilizing all of the earth's resources. You're even evil. That's what the world tells us. Are you buying into it? I grew up in northwest Iowa, and there it was quite common for young people 18, 19, 20 to get married, have kids by the time they're 21, or maybe even before. And I remember going into uh, Myers when we went to a grocery chain in, in um, Grand Rapids when I was in seminary, and the teller just saying there in unbelief. We had one, two, they're all my children, all five of them. Here I am with my children. A sign and a wonder. Who are these people? Who would delight in marriage and in their children? Who are these people who give liberally to Christian education to raise their children in the fear of the Lord, teaching them and instructing them in every subject according to the word of God? Who are these people who work so hard all week, six days a week, and then on, on, on Sunday, they don't even take time to go to a ball game or play hockey because they go to church and worship a God who they can't even see. What crazy people. That's the world. That was Ahaz. But we say, no, Christ himself says, here I am with my children. And we say, here I am with the children whom God has given me in Christ. To be a sign and a wonder of his grace and of his mercy. He calls us Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in order to be signs and wonders. As we seek to live according to all his commandments, according to his gracious law, according to his gracious testimony, that our children and us would be lights in this world, bearing witness of the light, Emmanuel. God with us, Jesus Christ. Amen.